How many people know there's nothing like the love of God? Amen. Amen. Now, we're an audience of mix. We have younger and we have older. Uh, so I'm going to address the older. Can you remember your first love? Can you remember maybe you were in high school or college? Probably definitely college because high school is too young. Amen. And then you remember you had this, the butterflies and you see her or you see him and and, and nowadays, you guys, you send text messages, right? You send a text, and then you start counting um, how long it takes for her to text back, right? If she texts back right away, it's a good sign. Gina, is that a good sign or a bad sign? It's a good sign. If she takes too long, then you start. Um, I remember uh, in, in my case... The only love that really matters, right? I can tell you exactly at what point the arrow, so to speak, hit me when we were at her church. Um, I can tell you exactly what she was wearing and when the arrow. But at that time, I was on visa, on the work visa, and my visa was out. And so I had to leave right? I had to leave. And then you see, and you guys know my, now my wife, right? But then all them jokers talking, I'm like, man, I'm not going to be around. I'm going to be all the way in Canada. Anything can happen. So when you feel that, you feel like you have to take action. Amen. And thank God I took action because now 14 years later for kids later, we're all good. And so we're starting a new, a short series for the month of, for the rest of the month of February is seeking love, finding Jesus, right? Seeking love, finding Jesus. I want to bet you that if you look at the top 10 songs, whether in 2023, 1993 or 1983, the majority of them are going to be about what? One thing, love, right? There's going to be some type of love. How many people like R&B, Amen. How many people know worship songs are really songs of love, but it's love directed to God? Amen. And, and, and so intrinsic in our lives, intrinsic in human experience is love. We are made to love and be loved. It, it, it's funny, it, when you grew up, grew up in America, right, they teach you who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. If you ever watch an American movie, I grew up in the 80s and 90s, right? If you watch an American movie at that time, the good guy was always from America and the bad guys was always from Russia. They were whether Russian, they were whether Muslim, they were from another country, right? But when you watch the news and let's say there's an earthquake, and you watch there's an earthquake, let's say in Iran, and you look, they cry too. Right now there's an earthquake in, in Turkey, they cry too. Why? Because they lost loved ones. It doesn't matter if you're from here, it doesn't matter if you're from there, we all have a need for love. We all have loved ones and we all have um, people that we love and people that we want to love us. But what we want to express to you is that there is no other love like the love of Christ. Amen. 
So our first sermon is going to be redemptive love. And I'm going to ask you to follow with me in Ruth chapter 1. And um, we're going to start by reading verse 1 to verse 5 in the Ruth chapter 1. Ruth is a little book. If you're pulling it up, DJ, that's what you're pulling up on your phone? Yeah, pull up Ruth. You can, you can pull it up. Ruth chapter 1, verse 1 to 5. Ruth chapter 1, verse 1 to 5. It's a small book nested between the book of Judges and the book of Samuel. It's a small book, the book of Ruth. How many people know the story of Ruth? Man, I see, I see Noriah's. How many people know? So Ruth, um, as we'll see, it was a young lady, and there's a love story with a young, an older man called Boaz. Now, how many people know why they say Boaz was very mean before he got married? It's because he was ruthless. All right, all right, all right. Dad jokes, dad jokes. We got some dad jokes. All right, so let's read um, Ruth chapter 1, verse 1 to 5. It says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Machlon and Kachilion. They were Ephratites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they, were, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. And they had lived there about ten years. Both Machlon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. And so, that's the beginning of the story of Ruth. Uh, Ruth is a young woman, but she's a young woman with baggage, right? She's a young woman that has some history to her. She's a, first of all, she's of the wrong ethnic group, right? She's a Moabite. If you know the Moabite, they're not, like, if, if it was here, they were not Americans, right? They're not the good guys, they're the bad guys. They're uh, a lot of times enemies of Israel, and, 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 and we would go into their origins, but this is church, and their origin is more like PG-13, so we can't go there, right? But, but they don't have a good origin. They're not a good ethnic group. Um, the story starts with Naomi. Naomi, she is from Israel and she's leaving Israel because there's a famine in the land, but she's, she's full. She has her husband and her two sons, so they have a strong family. So they're going into a foreign land and the Bible said for a time. So it's not meant to be permanent. It's meant to be for a time. How many Haitians are here, but you're only here for a time. You're sending money back home to build a house. Amen. No, maybe not. Amen. Cause now it's going real bad. Right. But, and, and so she's only, things are bad. So she's making a move, but it's a temporary move. And, and while they're there in the land where there is plenty, 
they have personal catastrophe, right? How many times everything might be going good for, for everybody else, but there is a crisis in your life. There's a situation in your life. And in the life of Naomi and, and then Ruth, there's a crisis. They lose not only the patriarch Elimelech, but the two sons die. So now they're in the land of plenty, but they're empty. They're empty, they're broken, they're, they're, so she has that baggage. And then Naomi says, you know what, ladies, I can't give you anything. So go back to your land, go back to your people, I'm going back home. I'm going back to where it all started. Sometimes we, we, we start endeavors in life, and when they don't go as we expect we go back to where we came from, right? We go back to, to our, uh, they would say sometimes they call that fetus position, right? When you, when you tend to withdraw, you started going to church and somebody at church uh, hurt you. So then guess what? You go back home and I'm not going to that church no more, right? So they, they, they have pain and, and she says to her uh, daughters-in-law, go back to where you came from. And, and they argue, they argue, but eventually Orpah says, okay, you know what? I love you. I'm out. So she goes back to her, to her people. But Ruth, she has a burden. She cannot let it go. She cannot abandon her mother-in-law. And so if you, we jump to verse 15, so Ruth's burden from 15 to 18 of the same chapter Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you Die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So Ruth has baggage. She she's the wrong ethnic group. She's the she's poor. She is broken, but she has one thing going for her. She has value. She has value. She has loyalty and she cannot abandon her mother-in-law. She says, you know what? Wherever you go, I will go. And you might've been in a wedding and they read that passage for the couple because it is a very strong level of love. And the most important part, she said, your land will be my, all that, but your God will be my God. And the difference between Ruth and Orpah, and Orpah went back to her gods. She went back to the gods of Moab, and the gods of Moab, especially Shemash, he was, you know, back then, God had wiped out the Canaanites because they had horrible practices. And one of the practices was sacrificing to idols, but not sacrificing only animals, sacrificing humans to idols. So she went back to her people who would sacrifice their children to... She went back to the world. But Ruth says, you know what? I'm going to stick with you and I'm going to stick with your God. And so she has a, a burden. So now they go back to Israel. They go back to Bethlehem. But guess what? They're broke. 
They're broke. And sometimes at Bible study, I ask the kids, and I'm going to ask you, if you could choose any time that you would be alive, what time would that be? Would it be 2020s? Would it be 1950s? Would it be back in the 1500s with the, the medieval, the royalty? Would it be back in Ruth's time? I'm going to tell you, if you're a woman, it's not back in Ruth's time. Because nowadays, you could be, you know, you have boss lady, you could be CEO, you can be, you can have your own company, you can build your, you know, you could be a doctor, you could be nurse. But back then, women, they, they couldn't do much. So Ruth and Naomi, they're back in the land, but they can't do much. All Ruth can do is work for scraps. Literally, she was working for scraps. So she had to find a field. And when the laborers would come and they would harvest the field, she could go and glean after, meaning she could go and grab the scraps after them. And that's all she could do. That's all she could do. So the story starts with Naomi being full. She leaves the land of famine to the land of plenty. In the land of plenty, she becomes empty. She becomes broken. But God visited Israel and now Israel has, has plenty. And now they're in the land of plenty again, but they're empty. Because they're women and they can't do anything. You ever hear, you listen to the news and they say, oh, the economy added 200,000 jobs. And you're like, okay, well, what about me? What about me? What's my job? Right? What about me? How come I'm still not finding the job I want? Or what, wh why am I still underemployed where everybody else is, is going? And then she's in that situation where she's a young woman, but she has no real hope for the future. And, and she, in, in her heart, she still takes care of her mother-in-law. So now there are two, but they're broken. Becomes her big break. Because as she's gleaning, so happens that she's gleaning in the, the land of a man called Boaz. And what is special about Boaz is that Boaz is related to them. And him being related to them, that allows him to be what they call the Kingsman Redeemer. And we'll see that in a little bit. But she finds... She did not plan for it. So while she's broken, while she's lost, she, by quote-unquote chance, finds herself in the field of the one of two people that can rescue her. And now she's getting a big break. Now, what I want to express to you is that you understand that sometimes, even when you're going through hard times, even when you're going through the valley of shadow of death, God is always in control. God is always in control. God is always at work. And, and that's why I love God because God has so much love for you. There's not, Jesus says, there's not one hair from your head that falls that God doesn't allow it to fall. So there's not one thing that happens in your life that God is not in control. So even when things are hard, even when things are not perfect, God is still in control. Now, we look at things from our perspective of the here and now, but God looks at things from the perspective of eternity. 
So it doesn't make sense to us now. The hardship that we're going through, it doesn't make sense to us now. But the question is, is can we trust God enough to keep moving forward? Is can we trust God enough to say, okay, you know what, God? I don't understand why you're having me going through this, but I'm going to put one feet in front of the other, and I'm going to trust that you know where you're taking me. And then so Ruth finds herself in the one field of one of two people that can save her. And now, and now the, she's in the field, and Boaz comes and says to his homies, to his workers, Bruh, who's, who's that one? So, oh, he says, who's that young lady? And he goes, oh, that young lady, she's Naomi's daughter-in-law, and now Ruth's reputation repe- uh, precedes her, right? So now they tell her everything, and they tell him everything that Ruth has done for Naomi. And I'm going to tell you, for those of you who are young and you're looking for someone to share your life with, go for someone with character. Go for someone with character. The Bible, see, there's some people in the Bible, the Bible tells you how they look, right? It tells you that Joseph, Joseph was handsome. Joseph had swag. He was GQ. They tell you that Rachel, Rachel, uh, how can I say this in church? She was very attractive to the eye. I mean, she was hot. Esther was attractive to the eyes, the Bible says. Ruth, we don't know. Ruth, the Bible doesn't say say anything. She might have been because Boaz is there and says, who's that one? But what makes her stand apart is not how she looks, but it's how she behaves. It's not how she looks, but it's how she lives. So if you're looking for someone, look for someone that has the value that will last for eternity. You, 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 you know, if you follow the gossip, right? If you follow the, go- the Hollywood gossip, the Hollywood, right? The quote-unquote beautiful people. How many times you see, oh, so-and-so broke up with so-and-so. And so-and-so broke up with so-and-so. If external beauty was the standard for a happy life, they would be happy. But how many people know you're more happy than them? You understand that, right? You know that you're more happy than those Hollywood people. Every day you see, oh, so-and-so is broken up with so-and-so. Oh, so-and-so has been seen in public or, 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 or so-and-so has cheated on so-and-so. And, and you look like, bro, why are you cheating on her? <laughs> like, well, because that's not what fulfills. And then Ruth, her reputation is what precedes her. So that was chapter two where Boaz, and then Boaz goes to her and says to her, my daughter, I hear what you said. And now, girls, you know what? In March 4th, we have Simbis. Y'all need to come. Pastor's going to make the announcement at the end, but we have Simbis, which stands for save your marriage before it starts. For all the young adults, March 4th, and then for all the kids, um, the teens, we're going to have true love waits. Because you have to understand how, how guys think, right? We have to understand. So Boaz says to Ruth, don't go glean 
in other fields. You got everything you need right here. Stay, glean means to go and, and grab the scraps after the workers come. So you don't have to go nowhere else. You're, you're good here. You got everything that you need here. And I told my homeboys to provide everything that you need and don't touch you. Meaning on home, guys, hands off. Don't touch her. But you stay right here. As the story goes, my dad, when he was a young man, he was getting ready to move to Canada. He was immigrating to Canada. And um, his homeboys were all going somewhere else. But he said, you know what? I'm going to camp this year. I'm going to go to camp. And he goes to, to a camp. And at that camp, he sees a young lady. And the young lady, she's beautiful. Amen. Abby asks, is it grandma? Yes, Abby, it's grandma. It's grandma. And um, he sees a young lady, and instantly, he f- falls in love. Um, that was a m- the month of February. By the month of May... They were married of that same year. Amen. By the month of May, they were married that same year. But right after they got married, that was time for my dad to leave to go to Canada. And he was going to make her come a year later. You know, and we all know in our community people that have been through that kind of situation where you have to go ahead and then make your family come. So he had a friend, Jeremy, nice, coastal, tough guy. He says, Jeremy, watch. Make sure none of them jokers get around her. And he told my mom, that's how I leave you. That's how I want to get you in a year. Basically set the territory, right? But he made sure that everybody would know you don't touch. And then a year later, she came. They had four kids. And those kids have other kids, and the rest is history. Actually, 2019, we celebrated 50-year anniversary for them. Yeah. All right, you can clap. Because Abby's like clapping. 50 years. And, 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 and just a parenthesis, it's, so the time that you date is one thing. But, but the, the, the time that you spend bringing God in the relationship, that's what really matters. Because over 50 years, you're going to have up and down. Whether you did it two years, five years, five minutes, you're going to have up and downs. But it's Christ that's going to get you through those up and downs. It's, it's, it's only Christ. It's only Christ. And so, so Ruth is, is told by Boaz, stay here. But now as time passes, Naomi tells Ruth, okay, here's what you're going to do. You're going to find, now, this is a little controversial. I'm not saying anybody should do that. But Naomi tells Ruth, after he's, he ate, find out where he lays down and go lay down at, at his feet. And now come his big break, her big break, in chapter 3, verse 7 to 13. It says, So, 
Ruth 3, chapter 7, chapter 3, sorry, verse 3 to 17. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down in the middle of the night. Something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are our guardian redeemer for our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night and in the morning if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until the morning. And so she lays at his feet and he wakes up in the middle of the night. Now, this was in the times where there's not like street lights or, or that kind of thing. So he's not sure who is there. It's dark. Maybe the moon is shining a little bit. So who's this? And she says, it's Ruth, your servant. Now, this can go one of two ways. Imagine you're laying down in an area where there's not supposed to, to be any women at all, and she's there. So it could have went one way to, where she's like, hey guys, take her away. Kind of like the Esther situation where she had to go in and talk to the king when she was not allowed to do so. But in this case, she caught a break because he said... The Lord bless you, my daughter. This kindness is greater. And, and what we can sense out of this is maybe Boaz was a little older and Ruth was a little younger. So he would have said, okay, well, a normal girl would have went for the younger guy. A younger girl would have went for the appearance. Would have went for the one that looks better. For the one that, that has more swag. But she came to me. And she came to the one that had more character. And so that character thing goes both ways. Where ladies, you need to find a man of character. And men, you need to find a lady of character. Because character is what lasts for the long term. You know, outside beauty will, 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 will fade, but inside beauty will grow. You know, it's like that Will Smith, uh, what's that, Fresh Prince episode where they're stuck in... Um, like he's going out and I think it was, um, what's her name? I forgot her name. Um, but he's going out with this girl and she looks all good. And then there's, there's an earthquake and they're stuck in the basement. And as they're stuck with the basement, you know, the hair comes off. Like, oh, it's not your real hair? Says, no, it's not the real hair. The eyelashes come off. Oh, it's not your real eyelash? No, it's not the real eyelash. And then the, the nails come off. And that's, everything comes off, right? But that doesn't matter if there's character. 
Because if you were only there for the appearance, when the appearance goes, there's nothing left. But if you're there for the character, if you're there for the, the inside out, then that's what will remain for, for the long term. And then so her big break is that he is happy and willing to be her kinsman redeemer. But there's a problem. There is somebody else that is more closely related to her. There is somebody else that has more right to redeem. And just as a as way of background, the Kingsman Redeemer, that was in the law. And the Kingsman Redeemer was your defender. Meaning, if, like in the story, somebody died, a close relative could buy his property and could 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 by his wife so that his name, the name of the deceased would not be erased, right? Or if somebody would murder you, your kinsman redeemer could go after them to avenge your name. And so, so it's kind of like a system where your relatives have your back, right? So in this case, there's another relative that has a closer tie to Ruth and Naomi to Naomi to, and Ruth than Boaz has. And so he says, okay, you know what? Sleep there. I'm going to take care of it in the morning. And in the morning, he gathers the elders. He gets the guy say, hey, my friend, come here. And that's where we pick it up in chapter 4. And then in chapter 4, and we start from verse 1. He says, I thought I should bring the matter to your attention, and that's to the, to the elders, and suggest that you, um, to, um, to, the, um, to the other guy, to the other redeemer. So, sorry, go back. So, meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And they did. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me, I will know, for no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. And then he answered, he said, I will redeem it. So Boaz gathered the elders, he gathered the guys and said, hey, Naomi's back, they have land. Now, apparently says they had land, um, but they decided to leave that land to go to Moab, but they still had the land. And now she says, they're selling it. If you want to redeem it, do it. And the guy sees land, profit. How many real estate investors we have, like you would like to own land? You know, land is a very good asset to own. So he goes and says, yes, I will redeem it. So case closed, right? Case closed. He's going to redeem it. It's over. But not so fast. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi, 
you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. So when it was only the land, he was able to do it. But when the land came with Ruth, then he's not, no longer able to do it. How many people you've been in a relationship of somebody that only wanted you for what you could give them, but they didn't really love you for you? They only wanted you for what you could provide, but they didn't, and that could be friend, that could be acquaintance, so that could be, uh, um, it's like you see, you ever see on TV, the guy is 97 years old and his, his girlfriend is 27. Amen. Now, now it's, how many people think that's a love relationship? Or is there something else? The guy's a billionaire and he has a, a and so he's willing to pay for the land, but he's not willing to pay for her. I'm going to say, you need to find somebody that will fall in love with you for you. You need to find somebody that will love, fall in love with you, whether you're rich or you're poor, whether you're, 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 you're wealthy or you're not, because once the money goes, if that was the subject, once the money goes, they go too. You know, it's, um, I was um, listening to the news that we're talking about Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, apparently, Leonardo DiCaprio, which is almost 50 years old, never dates anybody over 25. If he has a girlfriend, like right now, I think he has a girlfriend, she's like 19. It's not illegal, but it's cuckoo. By the time she gets 25, she's probably out the door. Don't get somebody that loves you for what you represent. Get somebody that loves you for you. Get somebody that will be invested. And so the, the, the other guy, he's like, I cannot take that chance. It might endanger my estate. So he was in there for the land while Boaz was in there for Ruth herself. And then he says, now, verse 7 of chapter 4, now in Israel's time, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transaction in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself. And he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are witness that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Machlon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Machlon's window, widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family and from his hometown. hometown. Today you are witnesses. And so at that moment when they made the exchange, Boaz redeemed the name of Elimelech, Machlon, and, and Kilion. And he redeemed, he got the property, but what mattered for him was that he got Ruth. 
And he was, and in that sense, he was the kinsman redeemer of Ruth. He, he, he brought, now what Ruth would know is that now from that point on, she would be taken care of. From that point on, she would not be desolate anymore. From that point on, she would have a family. And what the text tells us is that she would then give birth to a child, right? And, and Naomi, when she saw the child, she's like, wow, this is like my child. So now the woman that had lost two sons, God repaid her with that son. And the name of that son was Obed. And if you don't know, if you know genealogy, you know that Obed is the father of Jesse and Jesse is the father of, of David. And David is the father of, of Jesus Christ the great, 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 great grandfather of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is our kinsman redeemer. You see, everything that you have in scripture is about one person. Every story that you have in scripture, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, it's not about them, it's about Jesus. Ruth, Esther, it's not about them, it's about Jesus. That's why they say history is really his story, the story of Christ. And Jesus is the kinsman redeemer. When Adam and Eve sinned, God asked them a question and said, Adam, where are you? Now, it's not that God did not know the geographical location of Adam. Said, I'm looking for you. I can't find you. It's because Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they hid. They hid. And he says, where are you? Why are you hiding? And now that is a state that, is, that was different. That's a state of, of failure. And it's a state that God had never known. God had never known that state. So what Jesus, and then Job lays out the problem, right? Job, Job is in, um, he's in the dirt. He is, he's hurt. He is, he lost his family and he's sick. And he says in Job chapter nine, verse 32, 34, as he's going back and forth with his, with his friends and they're arguing and they're saying, you sin. That's why you're down. That's why you're, 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 you're the dogs are licking your wounds. And he's like, no, I didn't. I, I live my life righteous. And he says this, talking about God, he says, he lays out the problem. He says, he is not a mere mortal like me that I might answer him, that we might confront each other in court. If only there were someone to mediate between us, someone to bring us together, someone to remove God's rod from me so that in terror, so that his terror would frighten me no more. He's like, God is in heaven, I'm here, I'm in the dirt, and there's no one between us. There's no one, so I can't really talk to him because he's almighty in heaven. And he can't understand me because he hasn't been what I've been through. So God says, don't worry, Job, I got you, I'm gonna solve that. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, but guess what? The word was made flesh, and Jesus came down, and now Jesus, God almighty, he's walking, and he's getting tired. He, he's walking and he's getting hungry. He is thirsty and he's going through what everything that we went through. So much that Paul says there is, Paul says in, um, in First Timothy says, there is only one God and one mediator between God and men and that's Jesus Christ. And because Jesus came and he walked like a man, he became related to us. You ever ask yourself, you know what, why, now, you ever had a job that you want to, you have to do, but you don't want to do it? So guess what you do? You delegate to somebody else. If you ever have a parent, you have children, and once your children get old enough, what do you do? 
DJ, go to the store. Oh, DJ, go do. Why you have them do it instead of you. You ever wonder why God wouldn't send somebody else to do it? Why not send Michael? Why not send Gabriel? Angels, powerful and mighty? It's because they couldn't get it done. It's because they could not relate, because they're not related to us. So by coming through the, the womb of a woman, he made himself related to us so that he could redeem us. And that's why he is our kinsman redeemer. That's why he can now, when you're going through the valley of shadow of death, he can understand what you're going through because he's been through it himself. He says in Hebrews chapter 4, 14, 16, he says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Unlike what would happen in the past, now that Jesus came, Jesus lived, and he went through, and he died on the cross for our sins, he can understand totally and fully what we're going through. If there are people that are talking back bad about you, betraying you, he understands that because he was betrayed. If there's people, if your, your money's funny and, and you have lack, he can understand that because he said, the, the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And, and he can understand everything that you're going through. But it is something. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, a lot of things happened. The sky became dark. The uh, earth trembled. But you know, one of the most significant things that happened when Jesus died on the cross is that in the temple. So the temple, let's say this is the temple. This is where the people gather. There was a big veil. Big veil. And behind the veil was the altar. Was the, um, the ark. The holy of holies they call it. That was the most holy place. Where only the high priest would come in once a year. And they say that they would tie a rope to his ankle. So that if he came in the presence of God. Because that represented the presence of God. If he came in the presence of God unworthy. He could die. And if he would go there and he would die, nobody else could come. So they would pull him out with the cord. Well, that big curtain, the day Jesus was crucified, it got torn. But it wasn't torn from bottom to up, right? So if I'm trying to tear it and I'm here, I would tear it from bottom to top. It was torn from top to bottom. Meaning that God... By Jesus dying on the cross, God was making way for us to come into his presence. Now understand that now you have access, you have full access to the presence of God. You have full access 
to the throne of God, the throne that, 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 that controls the universe, you have access to it. If we had time, we would read Revelation chapter, chapter 4 and 5 that tells us, Oh, I saw the Lamb. He's seated on the throne with the elders, and there's a bowl, and then and that bowl is incense, and the incense are the prayers of the saints, meaning that your prayers, when you pray to God, they go straight to the throne of God, and God hears your prayers because he's your kinsman redeemer. By dying on the cross, can you imagine? You ever been in a relationship and somebody did something bad to you? Have you ever been? I, I, saw, I saw somebody post on, on Twitter. <laughs> somebody post and said, I just found out that my seven-year-old daughter was lying when she said daddy had a girlfriend. But now we're very much into our divorce because he's not forgiving me for believing her over him. So the seven-year-old lied and said, oh, daddy got a girlfriend. The mother believed the daughter. Now the husband says, no, it's not true. I don't have a girlfriend. But she believed the child because said, what child will make that lie? And now they went and they filed divorce and all of that. And then turns out the kid was lying. But now the husband doesn't want to forgive. He says, no, it's over. How many people you're with the husband? How many people say, okay, you know what? He should forgive. How many people are grateful that God does forgive? Amen. How many people are grateful that God, when we mess up, when we act up, he forgives us? And that's redemptive love. Redemptive love is not vindictive love. A lot of times we get vindictive. You do something to me, I'm going to do something to you. You act up against me, watch your back because I'm coming for you. But God says, you know what? When you sin, he looks at you and says, okay, how can I redeem him? How can I redeem her? How can I bring him back in the fold? And that's the kind of God love that God has. God has so much love for you. I want you to picture this. God has so much love for you that when you got saved, he threw a party in heaven. Because the Bible says that every little one that gets saved, the angel rejoice and they have a party for every single soul. That's why I want to go to heaven. It's party town. It's party town. Because God rejoices when somebody gets saved. That's the redemptive love. When God looks at you, he doesn't look at someone, oh, how can I punish him and find ways to punish him? He says, how can I redeem them? How can I bring him back into the fold? And that's the redemptive love. That's the extreme love. You know, C.S. Lewis says, true love is when you look at the interests of the other person more than yours. In um, the Boaz and the other, their other redeemer was looking at his estate more than Ruth. But Boaz was looking at Ruth more than himself. And God, Jesus Christ, looks at you more than him. Let's pray. So all eyes closed. 
And I'm going to ask you, did you experience the love of God? And maybe you've been Christian for a while, you've been Christian for a time, and you know, you go through the motions. Love is a very hard thing to explain. It has to be experienced. I cannot explain to you how I love this person or that person. It's something that you have to experience for yourself. You have to experience the love of God. So we're going to take the next few minutes just to worship God and pour. And if you've been disconnected from him, take that time so that you'll be connected with his love. The redemptive love. We saw last week that nothing, absolutely nothing can separate you from the love of God. So all eyes closed, come into his presence and let him talk to your heart.